We've already read the passages to be considered. Jesus, our Emmanuel. I might mention that there are only so many passages that deal with a holy day, holiday such as uh, Christmas. And so you probably have heard uh, something preached on this passage or on these passages before, but be not dismayed. This is entirely fresh stuff, okay? So <laughs> in light of what has transpired in the province of God since then. The nation of Israel, it was the time of the two kingdom era, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Assyria dominated the fertile crest, that whole region of the Middle East. Babylon was gaining power and would eventually replace Assyria as the world power. Israel, at this point, was already carried into captivity to Assyria, 722 BC. Judah, the southern kingdom, the better of the two, at least overall, in terms of having godly kings and having, to some, to a greater extent, maintained the integrity of the covenant as God's covenant people, Judah itself, though, was in the midst of idolatry. Idolatry was beginning to become rampant. It would later be carried away by Babylon, the great. Must the remnant of the righteous also suffer with a nation for all intents that has become or is becoming pagan? How could the chosen people of God survive? These are questions, no doubt, that run through our minds today. Wouldn't you agree? Why the righteous have to suffer with the ungodly? What would become of the promises of God to his people? Promise, for example, never to leave them nor forsake them. There was also the prophet himself to consider. Isaiah was not a pre-exilic or a post-exilic prophet, but what I would call a mid-exilic prophet. He was right smack dab in the middle of the exile of the nation. He began preaching at, a t at the time when the Assyrian Empire had already consumed the northern kingdom and was threatening also the southern kingdom. Notice how the Lord allowed those who are not walking with him to be taken from him before those who sought to stand for God in truth. He prophesied in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, even into the reign of Manasseh, who was an evil king. For 60 years or more, he tried to bring the nation back to God. Remember this. Remember this. That it would take God himself bringing the nation back to God himself. 
The book of Isaiah has been called the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Isaiah. And rightly so because he was the best known for having predicted 700 years prior to that time the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. That's all you have to do is look at Isaiah 53 and you have evidence galore. In the midst of all this, God himself will come to do what no ordinary human being, sinful human being, that is, can do. Be he prophet, priest, or king. Prophet like Moses. Priest like Aaron. King like David. All renowned and exalted men of faith. For Christ will be all three, prophet, priest, and king. For there's one God and one mediator. By the way, the mediator is the one who is prophet, priest, and king in one. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 5. The basis for this oracle, this prophecy, this prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, is threefold. First, that we may see him in the scriptures. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Lord is not about giving signs at a venture, nor at our request, as you know. But here, he chooses to give a sign. And what is that? That a virgin shall be with child. That's never been heard in the history of humankind to this very day. And that includes with conception by artificial insemination. Who has ever heard this conception without human intervention? And she shall call him Emmanuel. Back then the father has the honorable privilege of calling or naming his child, especially his son. But here it is conveyed to the mother. Even as in Luke 1, 30 and 31, where we read. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Matthew that we read this privilege was given to Joseph as can we call him the adopted father of our Lord or stepfather of Christ and that's why it says and they shall call his name Emmanuel by the way in verse 23 but here it focuses upon Mary the mother of Jesus and three times this name appears in the Bible. And 
Isaiah 7, 14, which we have read. And also in Isaiah 8, 8, it says there, in Isaiah 8, 8, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of the land. O Emmanuel. In reference, I believe, to the coming in of the Gentiles or his going out with the gospel through his church. And then also in verse 10. Take counsel together and it shall come to not speak the word and it shall not stand. For God is with us. There is Emmanuel once again in so many words. And then, of course, our passage in Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and, thou shalt, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The Jews tell us this name was given to Hezekiah. Because he was so instrumental in delivering God's people back then. But how can that be when Hezekiah was already a full-grown man when this prophecy was given? It was thought that this was a child born at the time, like Isaiah's son. He had a son that was born to him. But no, Emmanuel would not be of any earthly father whatsoever. And that would include King David. Although Christ would be called the son of David and be of his human lineage. As it says in Matthew 1, 1, the book of Son of David, the son of Abraham. No, Emmanuel would live up to his name. God with us. God with us. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him, there was not anything made that was made. And then it goes on to say in that prologue of John. In John chapter 1. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. What is another reason for this oracle of Isaiah? That is this, that we might be saved by him. Like that hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here till the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice. Only Jesus, our Emmanuel, is up to the task of being the Savior. First, he lived a life which we could not live perfectly, immaculately, sinless, unlike the womb of the Virgin Mary in which she was born, for it is the womb of a, of a sinner, but kept by the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that we can explain this. And his account of a perfect life that he lived, which we could never live in a million years, is credited to believing sinners. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, 
For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There is a transfer, a divine and extraordinary, miraculous transfer of righteousness for sin in Christ, in his life, and then in his submitting himself to that horrible death. And that brings us to the second, the second way that he saves us. Part two, I should say, and that he died the death that we deserve. He who did not deserve that, as I already said earlier in the quoting of first, Second Corinthians 5, 21, but also in First Peter 3, 18. Turn to it, First Peter 3, 18. Just so that you know that I am not pulling scriptures out of the air, but from the very holy writ in which they are found. And it reads, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Which brings us to the third and important part and aspect of redemption by our blessed Redeemer. And that is he rose from the dead. It says that he was quickened by the Spirit, made alive. He who was dead. He was dead. He was truly dead. God wasn't dead. And yes, there's a mystery here. But nevertheless, Christ died. But was raised back to life. By the same spirit that dwells in us. Who was delivered for our offenses. And was raised again for our justification. There is therefore now. I'm sorry. Therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us why it required God. Or maybe I should rephrase that, the God-man, to save us from our sins. In question and answer number 16, why must he be true and righteous man? Why must he be a true and righteous man? Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should make satisfaction for sin. But one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. That's why he must be sinless as a man. But why must he also be true God? Now, this is really the crux of the matter. This is where the Bible divides the world into two camps believers and unbelievers. And amongst those that are unbelievers, sadly, I must add those who, though they purport to profess Christ, Yet, by their denial of his true identity as the God-man, have in effect shown themselves to be unbelievers, according to the Bible definition of the word. And the answer to this question, why must he be God himself? That by the power of his godhood, he might bear in his manhood the burden of God's wrath. And so obtain for and restore unto us righteousness and life. Because no one else 
but the sinless Son of God could accomplish that, could die for others and save them from their sins. And then the last question, 18. But who now is that mediator? Who in one person is true God and also a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is freely given unto us for complete redemption and righteousness. We have it all in Christ. We don't need anything else but him. And that is why the gospel is so simple. Why it's called the simplicity which is in Christ. Because faith in Christ is all that's required. There's nothing else that we have to do. Oh yes, we have to repent. Oh yes, we have to turn from sin. But if the Lord is saving you, not only from sin's penalty, but from sin's power, and who promises to save you from its very presence one day, what have you to lose by coming to Christ? You see, we have it all. And yet at the same time, we know it's a gift. Because none of us is worthy. None of us is worthy. The Lamb who was slain on the cross for our sins. First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There have been, sadly, common translators who have tried to rip this out of the scriptures. And in some of the modern versions, it's been dumbed down. But these are the words of the inspired scriptures that declare our Lord Jesus to be God manifest in the flesh. And then lastly, why the oracle or oracles of Isaiah? That we may stay with him forever. Not only that we might see him in the scriptures and be saved by him, but also that we might stay with him forever. Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God in the garden, but that was broken by sin. Emmanuel bridged that gap. No more spiritual distancing from God. No more eternal distancing from God by being in the lake of fire and, and of course, God in glory. As Psalm 103 tells us, He hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he put away our transgressions transgressions from us. Like as a father that pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. We're his children. Now and forever. Remember that if you have trusted in Christ, you do not stop being a child of God. No matter what your past was, no matter what your sin was, no matter how bad it is, no matter if it's a recurring sin, called a besetting sin, or an indwelling sin, like our sinful nature is indwelling us. It's not gone away yet. It's not been eradicated. It's not been crucified yet. It's not been put to death yet. But is being by the power of our God, by the work of His Holy Spirit working in us mightily, conforming us unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You must believe that. And now he has entered into fellowship with us. That is so remarkable. 
And you think about how the holy and the thrice holy, perfect, impeccable Lord walks with sinners like us and talks with us along life's narrow way. But that's what the scripture says, like in 1 John 3. 1 John 1, sorry, 3 and 4. 1 John 1, 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Notice how confident and bold the apostle is in his declaration. He wants us to hear this loud and clear, that you also may have fellowship with us. And he doesn't mean with John, because John's no longer here. He's in glory. Or the apostles that were with him, they're in glory. He's talking about with the Father and with the Son and by the Holy Spirit. For he goes on to say, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write me unto you that your joy may be full. I don't think there's anything more full than to be in the presence of God. I don't think there's anything more full than to spend time with our Lord. I don't think there's nothing more exhilarating and more fulfilling and more complete than our fellowship with the living God. And if there's anything that exceeds that, tell me. Uh, l- let me know about that. And I'll uh, attempt to uh, look it up in the Bible and to find out if... Uh, if it does, in fact, uh, exceed this, this, that your joy may be full. Now having come, he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. No matter how great your sins are, as I've said, no matter what you may do to sit against God from this point on until you meet him face to face, that doesn't mean it will be easy. In fact, there will be times when you'll get hurt. Hebrews 12 talks about that. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And that hurts. And scourges every son, every child that he receives. That hurts. He will hurt you because he loves you. And he wants you to be like him. And so he will discipline you as a good father. And if you, if you want to know, if, if you're going to marry, you gals... You want to not only marry a good husband, you want to marry a good father. One who has the best in mind for his family because he wants to do what's right. Not just what's expedient and what satisfies in the hour, but what will be for eternity. Christian life is a life of daily repentance, as John goes on to say. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice it's in the present tense. You know why? Because sin is in the present tense or sin is committed in the present. And we need to daily, daily lead a life of repentance, conversion, and faith. But thanks be to God, chastening is not forever, even in the course of this life. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. <laughs> you better believe that. If, 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 if you don't believe that, there's something wrong with you. Pinch, you know, uh, uh, do you feel anything? Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness 
unto them that are exercised thereby. Living righteously is peaceable, is living a peaceable life. In Christ's righteousness and peace, kiss one another. He is teaching us godliness with contentment, being true riches, great gain. And so let your life be without it, covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In Isaiah 43, 2, he says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Doesn't the world seem to be unraveling at the seams before our very eyes? I hope you see that. But look again, child of God. We are not alone. Finally, look at Psalm 46. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. That means think on this. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He hath made those desolations. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He bringeth the bow, bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. There is an end. There is a conclusion to all of this. But notice where we need to be. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, I'll be exalted in the earth. And then he repeats himself, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Think on this. Think on this. When it's repeated, it means really think on this. Really think on this. Jesus is our Emmanuel. In other words, he is our God. As the Nicene Creed put it, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was made flesh by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
there was a time I memorized this and I didn't fully understand the implication of this as a youth growing up in the Roman Catholic system. Thank God I understand it better. And I trust you do too. Do you see him better having heard this message from the Holy Scriptures? Have you been saved by him from your sins? Are you enjoying his fellowship in your life? As that hymn, which we're not going to sing now, and I'm not going to sing for you either. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hailed incarnate deity, pleases man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angel sing. Glory to the newborn king. And with that, let us pray. Our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we bow before you in thankful praise for your eternal salvation in saving us both body and soul. Now, and forevermore, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray.